1: Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy. And we are here to wrap up week 13 of college baseball. It was a loaded schedule across the country. There is so much to talk about. Uh, We knew this was going to be a packed weekend, and it absolutely delivered. We've got uh, the Big 12 race getting completely upended by Texas Tech sweeping Oklahoma State. We've got Arizona upsetting Oregon State. Uh, Out in the Pac-12, we had a top 10 ACC series won by Virginia Tech. We had Florida State winning the rivalry series against Miami. Uh, A lot happened in the SEC, including Vanderbilt upsetting Arkansas in Fayetteville. There were some significant conference races. You know, one and two matched up in Conference USA. Big deal in the Missouri Valley. A lot to get to here on the podcast. Frankly, I don't know how we're going to do it all. So let's get to it, Joe. Uh, it was it was a great weekend of college baseball. A great weekend for the remote control. Uh, maybe not such a great weekend to be at some of these series. Uh, Virginia and Clemson, I think, wrapped up five minutes ago. Uh, but it is uh, it if you dodge the raindrops, it, it wound up being a great weekend.
2: Yeah. Last, last week at this time, I said that, uh, you know, if mother nature keeps this up, she's going to host a regional and don't look now, but she's sneaking up on a national seed. So, <laughs> uh, another big weekend for mother nature. It's funny, uh, at least out here, we had a really nice week of weather leading up to the weekend and then the rain came again. So, um, is what it is. I mean, it's that time of year, right? I mean, it's just like the late spring, early summer, when it starts to get warm everywhere. And you know, in a lot of places, as soon as it starts to warm up, it starts to rain. So, the old uh, April showers bring May flowers, although you know we're in May now. But the, the the old adage stands, and that's you know it's it's a nice little preview for the postseason, um, for better or for worse.
1: That it is. Well, let's go to a. I, I, there, there's so many places we could start. I think there's only one place to start, though, and that's in Stillwater, where there was no rain. There was. I, I can't. There, there, there might be a pun there. I can't do it. It's fine. Uh, Oklahoma State was hosting Texas Tech. There was an awful lot to play for this weekend, uh, especially for Oklahoma State, which we we've talked about how tight this Big 12 race was, how Oklahoma State coming into the weekend was in control of its own destiny in the Big 12. And, you know, really just kind of seemed like they were commanding the Big 12 race, not just in control of their own destiny. That makes it kind of sound like, well, you know, they can do it, but it'll be it'll be tough. Like, no, they. If you looked at it, they probably only needed to go four and two over their last six games to win their first Big Twelve title since 2014. Instead, Texas Tech rolls into Stillwater and sweeps Oklahoma State, and you know they did it in a variety of ways. Uh, They uh, they went out on Friday night. And, uh, you know, needed a a bit of a comeback. They got behind early, came back, held off a furious Oklahoma State comeback with one of the wildest endings you will see. Texas Tech only plays weird games. That's what I'm taking from this. Uh, We we can get into that Friday night ending in a sec. Uh, And then on Saturday, it was a little more uh, routine. Brandon Birdsell really shut down the Pokes' offense. And then um, Sunday, again, was a tight game. Texas Tech, again, holding off a furious comeback attempt from Oklahoma State which left the bases loaded in that game and uh, the end result is texas tech sweeps texas tech uh now controls uh its own destiny in the big 12 title race uh and oklahoma state has been eliminated from title contention meanwhile because this is all interconnected tcu swept kansas to finish its big 12 regular season slate they're playing santa clara next weekend so they're in the clubhouse they're the leaders 16 and 8 that's what everyone's chasing uh, setting up a bananas final weekend, potentially as Texas tech is hosting Oklahoma. Both of those teams are still alive. Both of those teams need a sweep. And if they get it, they win the big 12, uh, if not TCU, wins the big 12 it's, it's nonsense. It feels like that that there are so many permutations that it, it could be, but this is this is what we've hit on. So, Joe, I guess let's set aside the the future Big 12 implications. We'll talk about that at length on Thursday, and we can touch on it a little later here. But uh, let's focus on Tech rolling into O'Brate Stadium and coming away with three wins.
2: It felt like a series that really just got played on Texas Tech's terms is how I would put it. I mean, yes, Oklahoma State did score two runs on in the first of the first game. And he thought, okay, here we go. But from, from really that point forward, um, it felt like Texas tech series, even on Friday, when Oklahoma state, Oklahoma state had some moments on Friday, Friday was the most interesting game of the three, you know, you write down to little individual moments, the way the game ended, uh, 513 foot home run for Griffin Dorshing. that went over the scoreboard in left center, just an incredible home run. um, And Tech, you know, found a way to to hold on and and, and win it. Um, But that felt like Tech's kind of game. You know, they they knocked Justin Campbell out of the game relatively early. They, they, you know, relatively early on Justin Campbell standards, I suppose, got to him pretty good. Uh, It was played with a high-ish score. It was, to your point, kind of chaotic. And it seems like that team just likes to play those kinds of games because they sure do seem to end up in them. Big innings were a thing. You know, they they had a a five-run inning. In the opening game, they had a seven-run inning. In the second game, um, not no huge innings in the third game, but did have a three-run inning. So it, it just kind of felt like Texas Tech's type of series, and they controlled play from basically beginning to end. And Oklahoma State, for the better part of the series, kind of felt lifeless in some ways. I mean, I don't know if the, the opening game and how close they came and the way it ended or all of that kind of bled over into the rest of the weekend or not, but they were – Somewhat uncompetitive on Saturday. It's a little unfair because a seven run inning kind of makes it look that way. But I mean, it really was after that big inning, uh, basically done and dusted on Saturday. And then on Sunday, the score looks pretty close. And they made a nice rally in the ninth and had a, uh, you know, we're, we're right there to, to tie that game. And, and it didn't happen. But I mean, that game was, you know, uh, six to one going into the seventh inning. Um, it had been controlled from start to finish by Tech. So um, that one wasn't probably even. Quite that close outside of a relatively close finish so it was um you know just uh exactly what tech needed and and for oklahoma state it was um just a a real step back and it kind of goes to show that you know this this conference has been pretty hard to figure from the very beginning for a lot of different reasons which we'll get into like you said probably more more at the end of the week as we as we look ahead but um this felt kind of par for the course for this league so far this year with the way things have been upended we've ended up with kind of the same group of teams we thought we'd end up with, but man, how we arrived here is, is not the way I would have seen it coming.
1: Texas tech or Oklahoma state scored the first two runs of the game on Friday uh, in the first two innings. Then tech comes back with a, uh, a five run fourth inning to take the lead. They would not trail the rest of the weekend. So to your point, Joe, I mean, like, yeah, they really did play this on text terms. Uh, There were a couple times later that, that Oklahoma State was tied uh in the series, but they never led after the fourth inning on Friday. And uh I mean it's it's remarkable that, that that happened. And there are a number of reasons for it. One of which uh was I think starting pitching. You mentioned Justin Campbell getting knocked out relatively early. It was his worst start of the season. I, I think that's completely fair to say. Um he it wasn't a terrible start there <laughs> i i think a lot of pitchers would love for what justin campbell did on friday to be his their worst start of the season but nonetheless it was his worst start of the season and then on saturday i mean we've talked a lot about how bryce osman isn't getting deep into games but he really didn't do it on saturday and then on sunday with uh, victor madero still sidelined by a back injury trevor martin went back out there to start and he only made it two and a third um he gave up uh five hits and five walks. I think that was, um, I could be conflating something though, but it was, it it just wasn't a good weekend for, for the Oklahoma state starting group. And it's a team that wants to get to the bullpen relatively quickly. Um, and it's a good deep bullpen, but you, there just was a lot put on that bullpen and they entered the game losing every time. And you're just, that's not the recipe for success. I think Oklahoma State's won the bats relatively well. They maybe came up short in some clutch situations more often than they would want. But to me, this was uh, this was a, a, a I don't want to say an indictment of the Oklahoma State rotation this weekend, but it was it was a they were they did not cover themselves in glory, and it was just a really tough weekend for them against a really good offense. It, it happens, but they uh, they did not step up in the way the Cowboys needed them to.
2: No, and I I think it. I think it shows the way in which they're vulnerable, right? I mean, we've we've kind of known this for a while, and at different times they've kind of papered over it. Whether it's, you know, Bryce Osmond turning in a good start, which he's he's done a number of times, like he's had good outings, and you know, or or kind of being optimistic about what Victor Madero's could be. But by and large, for the most part, I mean, it's a team that is pretty vulnerable after Justin Campbell. And so, in any weekend when you don't get much from Campbell, not only is that a bummer because you know, you never want to lose his starts, but also it does set you on course for your bullpen being taxed in the way it did um, the way it did this weekend. And they had to go to it early enough that it, it felt like they never really, they weren't able to use the relievers in the way in which they wanted to, they were chasing the game for a lot of it. So, you know, that's always a tough thing to balance if you're a coach, because it's, you know, which arms do you want to use while you're chasing the game versus which arms do you want to use in case or in the event you take the lead? Right. So, that's a tough, tough way to play a game at any point. And, you know, so it just felt like they, the bullpen being a strength that it is for them, they weren't able to really use them in the way in the way they would have wanted one of the, to to, to
1: clean this up real quick. It was not Trevor Martin that gave up five hits and five walks. That was Jake Fennings who plays for the other, Black and orange OSU team, and we'll talk no. about that in a, a little bit. <laughs>
2: Fair enough. I thought maybe you were referring, conflating it with the Justin Campbell start because he gave up six hits and five walks, and that was that was pretty close. So, like, I thought that's what you were actually conflating it with. So, um, you know, interestingly on the Tech side, I mean, it really does. We, we've talked about this before, so I won't really belabor it too much. But, um, you know, the Andrew Morris Brandon Birdsoul combination. You know, Birdsell more than Morris. I mean, Birdsell throwing like he when he's on. I mean, it's it's a game changing arm for them, um, and, and really a game changing arm that that Tech doesn't always have, even in good years. You know, they don't have a guy like that at the front of the rotation. They've they've pieced it together a lot, um, even even in good years. So that's really a, a game changing arm for them to have. And and Andrew Morris has has really been pretty dog on good. And I, he's seven and zero, which is kind of a weird quirk. It wins. I'm not someone who puts a lot of stock in wins, but it is kind of a quirk that. It's a guy with an ERA closer to four than three, and he's seven and O, oh, which goes to show you that the offense tends to support him pretty well, I guess. Uh, but those two have been really, really solid at the front of the rotation. I think it's kind of changed, um, you know, raised the ceiling a little bit for tech and, and man, I would imagine once they get into maybe not a regional, because if they end up somehow hosting or have a favorable matchup as a two seed, Morris probably goes first, but in a super regional, or if they get to Omaha, like I imagine he'll be in a situation where Birdsell throws first and he's as good as anybody. Like he, he that's how good he is. I mean, the listening to the broadcast when he was pitching and, and Tom holiday does Oklahoma state games on ESPN Plus And he's, you know, that guy, he's been around a long time and he's seen a lot of really good pitchers. And he had a lot of really good things to say about just the quality of Birdsell stuff and the way his stuff just explodes. And, and, and when he's going well, how difficult he is to hit. So um, he's, like I said, he he's really kind of raised the ceiling for what Tech can be and, and is, gives them a chance to outpitch just about anybody in the country on the days he throws, which is not something we're used to saying with Texas Tech.
1: Yeah, and the, those two guys have been so great. There are a lot of options behind them, and it just feels like Tech can just throw so many different guys at you. And they did that on Friday when they were trying to close that game out. Tadlock went to the mound several times to bring in a new reliever, and they finally were able to uh, – to get that done. Um, I guess I teased how it ended Friday and then we didn't actually say. So on Friday, if you haven't seen this highlight, um, Oklahoma State gets the the tying run to third base with two outs uh, and it's a pinch runner, Jackson Kroll. He gets a bad read, I guess, on a dirt ball the, the ball never really gets far away from freshman catcher Hudson white, who was doing a great job behind the plate. Like it was, it was a bit, it was a bit dicey there uh, with a runner on third and the chance to tie a game, but he, he gets a, a pretty good block in. The ball does not leave the dirt area. Kroll comes anyway and winds up in a rundown and, and getting thrown out at the plate to end the game. I mean, like, Texas Tech is a team that already won a game this year on a walk off steal of home, and I feel like this one is right up there with that that uh, Kurt Wilson steal of home against Texas.
2: Yeah, it's for Kroll. It's it's just tough because you're you know especially when you're a pinch runner like you know you're in there for your legs and you get to third base and and you know the conversation. You know, whether it came from the dugout or came from the base coach or whoever is, you know, get a, you know, be aggressive on dirt balls, like be ready to go, all that kind of stuff. So you're bouncing over there at third, like you're ready to move and you see that ball heading for the dirt. It's just hard not to be over exuberant in that moment. And so there was some bad luck to it, didn't carry them that far. And really, I haven't watched the replay since Friday night. I probably should have gone back and watched it again, but really, it kind of struck me that. I mean, it wasn't close because they ended up getting him in a rundown, so he didn't even try to slide in. But the only reason it wasn't, you know, the only reason he didn't get caught up closer to third base is because Hudson White took Hudson White a second to like figure out exactly what was happening. It's almost like he didn't realize he was coming at first because he didn't expect him to. Um, and actually, that might end up working in Texas Tech favor because if Hudson White recovers that ball a little bit quicker, Kroll might have time to turn around and go back. But as it was, he hesitated long enough to let Kroll come down the line a little further. To the point where he got hung up the way he did. So, just, yeah, I mean, a very Texas Tech in 2022 ending, uh, that one there. But uh, again, you know, they, they find ways to win games like that. And I don't know if that's a skill or not, but man, they, they sure do seem to do a good job of it.
1: You know, I, I do think it's a bit of a program skill. You know, we're talking about a team that consistently goes to Omaha, uh, consistently competes for Big 12 titles. And, you know, I, 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 Spoke with uh Gonzaga coach Mark Makoff about, you know, is there something to, you know, your program winning, you know, these the you know, playing this underdog role early in the season and, and winning series like they did the last two years at TCU and, and Oklahoma State. And you know, he said, like he does think that there is something to that, that like eventually you do that enough as a program. Players start to expect that. Veterans tell the younger players that you know, we're going to, we're going to go and we're going to win this stuff. And I feel like the same thing can be true here that like Texas tech has won enough of these crazy games over the years that they never feel like they're out of a game. That is the feeling, like you get that feeling enough times that older players pass that on to younger players. And I mean, I I think there might be something to that. And I mean, there's a reason why tech has been as consistent as they have been under Tim Tadlock. And I mean, he's a really good game manager um, you know not many coaches i don't think would put kurt wilson on for a steal of home there you know like he's he's good in these moments and and i think that that rubs off on the team and and you know that all compounds and now tech is in a position to again play for a big 12 title and look even if they don't get it done even if they you know tie with tcu and because they only win the series against oklahoma as opposed to sweeping it they they'll say they shared the big 12 title they won't have the tiebreaker. They won't, you know, be the number one seed in Arlington, but I mean, this is a team that I had not been taken seriously as a potential host for weeks due to their RPI. That is now very much back on the table, though. They're only in the thirties. Uh, but with a series against Oklahoma who also has an RPI in the thirties, I, you know, this is a chance for tech to win some more games and make up some more ground and, you know, get into the right range to host, uh, I think it's a little less necessary that this tech team hosts than some in the past. They've actually played pretty well on the road. This is part of it, but obviously playing in Lubbock in June is a, you know, usually a huge advantage. It didn't work out that way in super regionals last year, but the history is such that it is a, uh, it's a big time home field advantage. I, before I go crazy on like what tech has, has done and what they still can do though, Joe, I, I do want to throw this out there. Maybe we should have seen this coming because Tech has not lost in Stillwater since 2014. They're 15 and three against Oklahoma State over the last like five years. It's it's insanity what that is, but I like it's just it's remarkable.
2: Yeah, that's a pretty. I mean, because Oklahoma State's been good for all that. Oklahoma State, by the way, I was reminded of this when I saw a graphic on uh, one of the games I was watching yesterday that Oklahoma State um, the longest regional streak in the Big Twelve. you know, uh, they. I think theirs goes back to 2013, whereas Tech's picks up in 2014, I believe. I think that's the the difference there. But regardless, Tech
1: maybe missed in 15.
2: Yeah. Regardless, I mean, because I think people would think Tech probably. Right, right. Um. But yeah. So Oklahoma State, though. Um. And there's been some close calls there. Oklahoma State won a tournament one time to get in. You know, that kind of thing. But um. Yeah. That's that's a that's an interesting little little nugget there. I think it's um. This this is a trademark of of, of this team, not playing well in Stillwater, although that is also the case. But, you know, I've had coaches tell me unprompted, um, just in like, you know, conversations where we're shooting the ball, just, you know, they'll just say, man, I wish, I wish I could get my, I wish my team played with an edge like Texas Tech does. Like, I kind of wish I could get, you know, put some of that in, into my team, because like, they just, they come at you and they come at you and they come at you and they have an edge and, um, you know, they, they play hard and you never have to doubt that. And, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's what if it's anything, that's what it is, is really just kind of an attitude thing. And that's I think that's how you end up in situations like they end up in and they're able to win games the way they win them is is because of the, the kind of edge they have there. So um, it is not certainly not. We're not letting it go unnoticed and it's certainly not going unnoticed around the rest of the country
1: either. All right. Gut right now, does does TCU hold on to this thing? They're in the clubhouse, like I mentioned, at 16 and eight, having demolished kansas and lawrence this weekend um tech needs a sweep oklahoma needs a sweep oklahoma state's out of it uh can tcu win this thing outright um or you know will they be the number one seed when you're in arlington in like a week from today
2: yeah i think it's i think tcu ends up holding on like i just think both tech and oklahoma are too good to sweep to to be swept um so I, th- I think it, I think it'll be TCU uh, doing the ultimate definition of backing its way into a uh, a Big Twelve title. Just with uh, I don't know,
1: they're five and one against Oklahoma State and and Tech. I don't I don't want to say they backed in. They uh, well, they got some help, but they they also they made some of this themselves.
2: Yeah, for sure. I you know, I just meant like they're sitting on the sidelines. And, yes, you know yes. They're not doing anything about it, and um, that's more what I mean backing their way. And you know, it's it also. Like all these teams have had this opportunity. Like literally all these teams we are talking about, except Oklahoma, I guess, which is kind of like pushed its way into the mix a little bit later, but they've, for the most part, just kind of taken care of business. But all the rest of the teams have had this opportunity. Like this has really been there for the taking for these teams. If, if one of these teams would have stood up and just kind of um, taking control of this thing. And instead they've kind of had this circular firing squad situation where they've, you know, they've all got, big series wins against each other. They've all got a series loss that was an opportunity, and that's kind of how we've ended up where we've ended up.
1: Yeah, I I think as good as Tech played this weekend, I mean, asking them to sweep the Sooners is a lot. Oklahoma is playing well themselves right now, and obviously is going to be plenty motivated going into Lubbock. So I I would lean TCU as well, but I I don't think it's going to be an outright title. Um, I told Joe when before we started the podcast I could do the whole – podcast about the big 12 and i promise we are about to move on but joe one last thing should we be concerned about oklahoma state this is a team that you know we thought was very good all season long there is something to be said now though that it's lost the series to arguably the best three teams it's played gonzaga tcu texas tech all three of those were in Stillwater. two of those were sweeps um they do have that series win against vanderbilt it did sweep texas and austin it did win the bedlam series although it is just two and two against oklahoma if you throw in the tuesday game uh, how good how good are the pokes i think
2: so i think there's like a nuanced answer here like uh, i think they're very good i think they've spent a lot of time in the top 5 and top 10 on their own accord sure but also it's hard to separate them being ranked that high for a lot of the season with the fact that outside of Tennessee and Oregon state, we've just had a lot of movement inside the top 10 and it's been kind of hard for those teams that we've generally thought are good to not be in the top 10 for a lot of this season because of some of the attrition we've had. Um, The top 10 has not firmed up in a way that sometimes it does. Um, I guess in a way it has because it's the same teams, but it's those same teams kind of cycling back through I've always been a little bit worried about Oklahoma state from the standpoint of this type, the thing that happened this weekend could happen. Like I don't have a whole lot of trust in their starting pitching and we can look at their, we can look at their bullpen and say, what's well, it's a real strength, but like you, it's hard to play on that strength unless you come from a position of power. So either your offense needs to get going pretty quickly in games, or you need to get some link from your starters. Your, your bullpen doesn't really do you a ton of, Good unless you're able to make comebacks late in games. Um, and that's just asking a lot. And so I've been concerned about their starting pitching for a while. I think sometimes their offense also feels a little bit not maybe home run heavy, but just kind of we need a big extra base hit to clear the bases here. And a lot of times that gets expressed in home runs. Um and Griffin Dorsing being back and doing his thing has been has been helpful in that regard, but it, it does feel like a little bit reliant on that for my taste. So I think it's a very good team and it's important to remember if they, you know, if they're able to take care of business this coming weekend on the road against Baylor and uh, show something in Arlington, it's a team that has a chance to be playing at home in June. And I think this time of year, when we talk about this league, when we talk about the ACC, when we talk about the SEC, it's important to remember that when you're hosting a regional, you're probably not going to see teams really as good as the best teams in your own conference. Um, so you don't have to necessarily play your absolute best to win a regional all the time when you host regionals. That's why you want to host regionals, right? Um, so anyway, long story short, I think this is a very good team. I think it's a flawed one. I just don't think that really separates them all that much from most of the rest of the country, up to and including Texas Tech. Like we're all over Texas Tech now because they swept this series and look great doing it. Um, but there are, there are reasons this year to to doubt Tech as well. So at various times we came into the weekend kind of casting a side eye to them. So, um, I just think that's the reality we have is like we could sit here and probably go through the entire top 25 and come up with reasons to worry about them, including Oklahoma state. Um, and I think this week, this weekend kind of expose the, uh, I don't say worst case scenario, but it exposed exactly how this Oklahoma state team is a little bit vulnerable moving forward.
1: So my concern with Oklahoma state is basically that it has now <sighs> Of laid an egg, I I, like it went one and two against TCU, and like it it had huge opportunities against TCU and Texas Tech to go out and say, We are going to win the Big 12 this year. And they they didn't get it done either time. I kind of wonder how they handle success. Uh, that might not be the most fair thing. I would want to like examine the schedule a little bit more. Um, but it, it just really strikes me that they had an opportunity at home twice now to to really just end the big 12 race or you know they couldn't have ended it this weekend but they could have they could have really put their stamp on it and said all we have to do is go into baylor and win a series and they they couldn't get it done either time and both times were at home and both times were against good teams but not you know we're not talking about i'm I'm not asking them to have beaten tennessee to do this you know like i just if this is a team that you're looking at and saying, yeah, it's a good team, they, they can host a regional, yeah, like they're they're that kind of team. Are they the kind of team that shows up in Omaha? I don't know about that. And maybe when Madero's, if Madero's is able to get right and get back into their rotation, maybe it'll be a different story. Um, Having him back would certainly help in some way. But it, it just, I don't know what it is necessarily that's lacking with this team. But but twice now, uh they've come up empty in in home series that would have really dramatically you know changed their their whole outlook you know it, right now we're talking about well they could host but i mean if they win this series we're talking about yeah that's a top eight seed, and that that's just such a different deal and, and to have it happen twice in obrate and to go one in five in those series and you can throw in the gonzaga series too like it that that to me is is it gives me a lot of pause with Oklahoma State now going into the postseason. All right, let's let's uh, let's go out West. Let's go to that other black and orange team with uh, the initials OSU, that lost series this weekend. Oregon State was the number one team in the country. That lasted for a week. Um, they went to Tucson, and uh, they lost to Arizona this weekend. They won on Friday, 12 to 9. They overcame Arizona getting to Cooper Jerpy in a way that nobody has this season, Uh, but they could not finish the deal. Arizona comes back, wins the next two games, massive series win uh, for Arizona. Not so much in like it changes their postseason outlook. There will be a two in my projections this week instead with three. Um, Maybe that means something, maybe it doesn't. But what it definitely does is after losing a series last week at last place, Southern Cal, uh, it arrested any sort of slide before it could have started by, by flipping the script and, and going out and beating first place Oregon State. Arizona has one of the strangest resumes in the country. They have series losses to the the, the, the teams uh, that are 9, 10, and 11 in the, uh, in the Pac-12 standings right now. The three teams that would miss the Pac-12 tournament started today. Arizona lost a series to all of them. Uh, It also has series wins against Stanford and Oregon state, the two teams competing for the PAC 12 title. Uh, So go figure that I sure can't, but uh, this was a big one for Arizona. Their offense came to play. They scored the most runs. Uh, They scored 24 runs this weekend. That's the most runs Arizona or uh, Oregon state has given up in any weekend this year. And I mean, that's what I would expect the Wildcats to do at home is score a bunch of runs and take advantage of the fact that you're playing and, in high Corbett and and go out and win a series, but we just haven't seen that from them consistently this season, but they, they sure did it this weekend against the Beavers.
2: Yeah. We talked before the season about how UCLA being as young and talented as they are, was going to be a team that would have big highs and and maybe some low lows. And that has actually kind of been true, but Arizona state is like the extreme example of that. And it's not really what we predicted for that, for this particular team. there's some, younger pieces, but there's a lot of a lot of veteran pieces on this team. But regardless, they showed what they can do this weekend. And it it feels like Friday's game was was so interesting in that well, a few things. One is that it really was pretty close. I mean it's 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 hard to say this because it was a seven run inning for Oregon State late in the game, but it was, you know, it was five to five going to the eighth inning. Like that's how close it was to being a maybe an Arizona sweep here. But the Friday game is interesting because Oregon State had to feel like man, we really dodged a bullet there like they, Arizona took it to jerpy and we still managed to win the game. Like, whew, let's wipe our brow, move on. We had to feel pretty good about that. Arizona, meanwhile, you know, probably felt like that was a real missed opportunity. Oh, we actually got to jerpy and now we lost that game. So, you know, if we want to win this series, we're going to have, you know, the next two days. And then of course the, the, the series just kind of turns right after that. It was a good offensive series for Arizona. We talked earlier this season about the offense feeling a little bit top heavy you know Susako, Trimba you know and, and Chase Davis hitting a bunch of home runs and like outside of that it was it was pretty inconsistent that has been better in conference play i feel like um so that has kind of come around a little bit feels like the depth is is a little bit little bit better there it feels a little bit more settled offensively um so i, I think this was arizona showing that what it can what its ceiling is um you know after maybe feeling like you know, this team felt like it was probably just a good a team that was good, but not great. And it's, I mean, it still probably is, but it wasn't looking like a team that I, I had a, any sort of conviction about, hey, this team could win a regional. I thought they would probably uh, fall short of that. But this, if they can do this against Oregon State, they can do this in a regional. They could do this in a super regional. They could get to Omaha. Like all of that is still in front of them if they play like they did this weekend. And a lot of things went right. They got a really good start from Garrett Irvin. Don't forget about Garrett Irvin. Like he turns in starts like that periodically. Um, they got really good bullpen work. Mac Bingham continues to swing the bat well. It's a guy who's hitting 277 overall and 358 in conference, which is just an incredible turnaround for his season. So a lot of things went right. Um, and there are a lot of teams you could point to that could do big things if a lot of things go right. But it's an Arizona team that you know felt like it hadn't had a lot of things go right lately. And and so they they certainly needed this uh, this this weekend. If it doesn't fundamentally change their out, postseason outlook necessarily but it probably does change the way we think about them and maybe the way they think about themselves.
1: I, I think that's important because, you know, if, if they had, you know, the, after losing to USC, they're facing series against Oregon state and Oregon to, to finish the the year. If that USC series loss starts beating you more than once. I mean, those are two good teams you're facing in the Beavers and the Ducks. And all of a sudden that compounds. And um, I mean, now you're going into the postseason in a funk and, so I, I think it was big from the standpoint of of stopping the slide. The fact they got two wins instead of just you know playing well and winning a game and being like ah oh, hard luck loss whatever like I think that that is materially uh, important. I also think that you know this doesn't change how they think about themselves probably, and it doesn't change their outlook, but it does it gives me food for thought. And it's it's this that they now in their three biggest series I would say or their three biggest weekends, Stanford, Oregon State, and opening weekend when they played in Arlington. Uh, they've won all of those. And in fact, they've only lost one game in any of those those three weekends, and it was a game started by maybe the best uh, pitcher in college baseball this year. Now, Chirpy wasn't great that game, but he still, it was that game. Um, they just seem like a team that can really rise to the occasion. The one time they didn't is when they lost to US, UCLA, at home, but if you look at their series losses, they're very confounding. It's those those three that we mentioned in the Pac-12, plus also Texas State. Before anyone realized that Texas State was the best team in the Sun Belt and a top twenty-five caliber team, I just wonder: is this a team that struggles to get up for you know the, those kinds of series? And if that's true, and that they can rise to the occasion, and that they do have this very high ceiling that they've shown against Stanford and Oregon State. Well, then that would seem to bode pretty well for the postseason. They aren't going to get to play at home, but um, you know, it, it, if they play better when the lights are the brightest, I mean that that's the postseason. So maybe maybe there's some reason for optimism about that. Now, obviously, there's a, a flip side to that, which is like, well, do you, you don't want your team to be that temperamental, and if they just played better in some of those series against the the bottom. Uh, quarter of the Pac-12, they, they could be hosting a regional and all the rest of it. But uh, if you want to take it from a little more positive angle, like when the lights are brightest, Arizona seems to thrive.
2: Arizona is the uh, <clears throat> the photo negative of Oklahoma State. You know, it's yes. like uh, <laughs> Oklahoma State. You know, has trouble with those those big series, and they 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 really kind of take care of business against everybody else without much drama. And Arizona creates a lot of drama when it doesn't need to be, and uh, you know gets up for the big series, which that is the positive spin of looking at it. That is the way I, I would tend to look at it. Um, you know, of course, you and I talked about this when we were talking about the rankings last night. That the other side of it is that, like, this is an Arizona team that probably should be hosting, you know, um, and that's not the reality, which is I was going to say it's fine. It's not really fine. That's what they want to do, but <laughs> it is what it is. But, yeah, they're, they are the, the the kind of the equal and opposite reaction to Oklahoma State.
1: Uh, quickly here, Joe. Are you concerned about Oregon State? They have now lost series against Stanford and Arizona. Arguably, maybe the two hardest series that they've played this year uh, against Stanford and, and now at Arizona.
2: Yeah, this one is a this one is a no. I'm I'm not really worried too too terribly much given this. I mean, unless you believe that this tough start for Cooper jerpy is the start of some like a trend in that direction versus just like, eh, it happens. Um, I mean, that would be worrisome, but I don't believe that. I just think they have so many ways they can beat you. Right. I mean, the bullpen is good. The starting pitching, obviously jerpy is the big name, but the starting pitching in general has been good. The offense is varied and can beat you a lot of different ways. Teams that are that well-rounded, um I tend to have a little more belief in and so there's a reason we have them ranked number two and didn't really have any well some of it was the teams behind them losing too but um you know this is still a number two team in the country I still think there's a, a, a little bit of a difference between them and kind of the rest of the field in the top 25 so no real worry there um although you know it, it does make it Make it clear that hey, you know, you it doesn't matter how I mean, we saw this with Tennessee against Kentucky. We saw this now with, with Oregon State that you know, doesn't matter how good you are, like in these small samples, you can get beat. And that's a, a real wake-up call for the postseason, as if any of them really needed it.
1: Yeah, I found it hard to believe that they're gonna have this kind of weekend on the mound again. I just believe in them so much uh, in terms of what they do from a pitching standpoint. And most of weeks, Chirpy's going to give you more innings. So you aren't going to use Ferrer as much as they did on Friday. And then maybe they're able to get Kamatz a little faster than they did. He was so good to start that game and then hit trouble. I think it was in the seventh. Uh so these things all have cascading effects. And I mean, obviously, this this does show you that like this is a way you can beat them, but I just don't know how many offenses they're going to face like Arizona. Arizona at its best, one of the best in the country. Daniel Susak is a first-rounder. Tran- Tanner Otremba is like this wonderful veteran hitter who's having an amazing year. Uh, Chase Davis has first-round potential next year. I mean, there's a lot to that lineup, um, and especially a lot in Tucson. So not terribly concerned about Oregon State, but they do now need a, a good finish against UCLA, not only to you know feel good going into the Pac-12 tournament, but also just to win uh, the, uh, the Pac-12, they have a one-game lead now on Stanford. And Stanford owns the tiebreaker, so Oregon State at least needs to match whatever Stanford does this weekend to uh, to go out and win the Pac-12 championship.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.
1: All right. Welcome back to the Baseball America College podcast. We are recapping week 13 here after a jam-packed week of college baseball. So packed, Joe, that we haven't even gone to the SEC yet. So let's let's head to the SEC. The a lot happened this weekend. Uh Tennessee won the SEC title. Uh, they win their first outright SEC regular season championship since 1995. We certainly saw that coming uh, over the last, I don't know, month, <laughs> but it finally happened, and they did so, you know, with a whole weekend to spare because they were playing this Thursday to Saturday this this weekend. It's a little hard to say how many days they did it with. Uh, to to spare because they were you know ahead of schedule this weekend, uh, but still they they get it done very early, and you know just a, an impressive impressive season again. Tennessee beats Georgia this weekend, and, and we'll get into the balls and how they handled their pitching. Uh, we also had a top twenty five series in Fayetteville as Vanderbilt uh, goes down and wins a series against the Hogs. Kind of a significant upset there. That leaves Texas A&M in first place in the SEC West by virtue of the tiebreaker. Uh, A&M now up into the top five of the Baseball America Top 25, something that Joe and I definitely expected uh, coming into the season. And uh, also uh, in the in the SEC West, in terms of upsets, uh, Ole Miss goes into Baton Rouge and sweeps LSU for the first time ever. Ole Miss left for dead by many, uh, including us, a few weeks ago uh roars back to life in terms of their ncaa tournament hopes uh that was a uh, that that really upset the apple cart and also provided kind of a really cool moment uh on sunday lsu was having its senior day and of course mike bianco's son uh drew bianco plays for lsu was among the honorees and so his father was able to be there for that uh that's a pretty cool moment no matter uh no matter how weird it might've been because Bianco did get into the on deck circle uh, in the ninth inning as LSE was trying to rally did not happen that, that he had to, had to hit in that moment. Uh, but it was uh it was a cool moment pregame to uh, to see the Biancos uh, be able to, to celebrate all together. Uh, okay, Joe, where, where do you want to take it from there?
2: Quickly on, on uh, Tennessee, like it's, I mean first title since 1995 obviously like we've seen the resurgence in that program so that th- those types of stats don't really phase me anymore i guess just because it's they've done a lot of first since or best since in the last couple of years but um you know doing it this early is you know last year we had arkansas was so dominant during the regular season tennessee this year has been so dominant Vanderbilt the in the 2019 season. as well yeah so like my inclination yeah that's actually even better because i was going to say my inclination is to think that well, this stuff just doesn't happen but now we've had two in a row and it turns out three in a row so uh that is interesting um some some really dominant teams in that league um so that's my take on that that's all i have there um a is just so fascinating because i think a couple things can be true here one is they have overachieved our expectations for them. I think overachieved And everyone's not just us. Yes. That's what, <laughs> Yes. I was going to say, and overachieved anybody's expectations for them. That is 100% true. Like there's a lot of things that have gone really right out there. Nathan Detmer hasn't been as good the last couple of weeks, but, but he's been a real revelation for them. You know, they've got a lot of guys in the bullpen that are doing a lot. The offense has been very, very good with a mix of like, The transfers like Dylan Rock and Jack Moss, guys who have been in the program like Ryan Targach, like it's so they've they've just got a lot of stuff cooking there. Um, The other thing is, it is indisputable that they have just also done a really good job of taking advantage of the fact that in the middle of the SEC is just a lot of kind of mush, you know, Um, and someone has to kind of take advantage of that. Someone has to fill in those power vacuums. And I think more so than any team. In the SEC this year, am has been the one that's really taken the bull by the horns, and they deserve, that might sound like a backhand, a compliment, and I don't, I guess maybe it is, but I don't mean it that way, like, someone had to fill in that vacuum and take advantage of that, and a ms done it, like, a like and saw that, hey, there's an opportunity here, and they've won games they needed to, and now they're in a position to do all kinds of things that we never would have expected them to be able to do back in, I mean, I was going to say February, but heck, I mean, back in early April, we wouldn't have expected them to be able to do those things, so an incredible Turnaround there and and again it's you know a combination of things that have have led to it but they deserve credit for being able to do it there are a lot of other teams that have had that opportunity and haven't been able to do it as well
1: i mean i came on the podcast sometime in february and said you know teams that lose to lose series to ivy league teams aren't in the habit of you know making the ncaa tournament and here a m is they're going to host Uh, You know, that's, that's the track they're on right now. And they're winning the sec West after finishing last in the sec West a year ago. Uh, It's remarkable. I, and yes, they've done a really good job winning the games that they should win, but they've also gone out. I mean, the reason why they're in first place right now, I mean, they are tied with Arkansas, but they own the tiebreaker because they went out and and they beat Arkansas. They did it at home. uh, But that, that just goes back to the, yeah, win the games you're supposed to win, win your home games. And a&M is out there doing it. They aren't, you know, they aren't buzz sign teams very often. There are not a lot of sweeps on uh on, on their their resume, but they go out and uh, you know, they they win games. And you could also say, well, slightly advantageous crossover schedule, didn't play Tennessee, blah, blah, blah. Like it's all fine. Uh bottom, bottom line here, AM was not expected to be in this position. They are, they've uh they've gotten so much better over the course of the season. Uh, and look, if AM went on some sort of run in the postseason, I would not be the least bit surprised. I also would not be the least bit surprised if, you know, they sputter a little bit in the postseason. Uh, there is a lot of postseason experience from guys like Troy Claunch and Jacob Palish, who, who are the transfers in. Um, and there's plenty of postseason experience in the coaching staff, but it is also – you know, it feels like they're walking a thin line at times. And those are the kinds of teams that if they, you know, if they fall into a loser's bracket, how are they going to react to that and, and all the rest of that? And we'll, we'll just have to see. I Nothing nothing that AM does the rest of the season is going to surprise me. And um, that includes, you know, seeing them in Omaha, frankly, like they, they have earned that. And uh, yeah, so very impressive there. Um, let's talk about, why they're now tied for first place because yeah they went out and they they swept mississippi state and so props to them for doing that but uh they wouldn't be there if vanderbilt hadn't gone to the hog uh gone to i was gonna say the hog pen uh gone to the hog pen and and uh and won that series vanderbilt in arkansas uh was an interesting matchup we we broke it down on the third thursday podcast and you know we we talked about a variety of things, and yet in the end, it was basically just Vanderbilt outpitched Arkansas. That, that was kind of my read on the weekend, especially on Sunday, playing a uh, a shortened game in the the finale because of the SEC rule that says if you play doubleheader on getaway day, uh, second game has to be seven innings. Um, they're playing; they're resuming a suspended game was was how they got into that scenario, and then Carter Holton went out and threw a two hit shutout uh, in to in that seven inning game to to lead Vanderbilt to uh to the win in the rubber game
2: yeah the, I mean a, a huge game obviously for Vanderbilt because it they were going to have in order to we talked about this in order to especially in order to be a top eight but even to feel good about hosting they were probably going to need to flip a series at some point down the stretch and then they flipped one here um so big in that regard but I think big individually for Carter Holton it, continuing a trend for him the last few weeks because it It looked, if you go back five or six weeks ago, he was too talented to just throw a blanket over it and say, oh, they figured him out. But freshmen do sometimes tend to, not just the freshman wall, the proverbial freshman wall, although that happens, but also freshmen do, the books get out on them, and the scouting gets better, and teams have a better approach, all that kind of stuff. And and, um, it is hard for a freshman to break through that. And the last few weeks, Carter Holton seems to have broken through that. His last three starts, 18 innings pitch, 10 hits, no runs. Um, that'll, that'll be the trick. Um, this was the best start of them all considering opponent and even the numbers bear that out. So, um, that's huge for Vanderbilt. They're going to, they're going to need him because you know, the, the, the two starts they got the, the other two days of the weekend were, you know, weren't anything really to necessarily write home about the bullpen ended up picking up some slack, but Devin futrell gave up four runs and in, in his five innings, McIlvain gave up six runs, five earned and, and four innings. Um, so they, they needed him for a couple of different reasons on Sunday, and and he really gave them what they were looking for. And he's the type of guy in terms of stuff like he's he's going to be in big spots in the postseason. Like he's prepared for that. He's got the stuff to succeed. He you know has dealt with these ups and downs. So that was just big, big, big. Big picture like the Go ahead, unless you were going
1: to. I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, the what what they got out of the other two starters was i mean it was fine considering you know you're on the road you're playing arkansas uh but for then holton the freshman who uh has been good but you know he's he's been a part of that rotation but there have been some you know it's been some rough patches for him to step up on that that stage on on sunday uh in a game that that meant as much as that did i i think that was a really big deal
2: my uh, my big picture thought too is that this game really turned on the Friday game, which was a, a ten-inning game. Um, did that? Did that one get flipped over to Saturday, or did they finish? No, I, I think
1: they completed that one.
2: Yeah, i keep losing track this weekend because it seemed like <laughs> every every game got rolled to the next day. Anyway, regardless, it, it got
1: completed, but it got completely overshadowed by the the situation in the stands, which we can touch on in a second once once. Ah, uh, indeed. Uh, yes, completely I forgot bought. about
2: that. No, it just <laughs> it, I think that was. Kind of typical of this Arkansas, like this Arkansas team, and we how we've kind of felt weird about them. Like they keep winning games, but we're not always sure how. And, and we've talked about like they just seem to kind of like Texas Tech, they just seem to kind of find a way. Friday's game is a type of game that Arkansas tends to win. It's kind of ugly, back and forth, not a lot of great pitching. Um, and it was Vanderbilt that got the big hit in the end. It was a Enrique Bradfield Jr. three run homer in the tenth. Um, and that that's like the original recipe for Arkansas, you know, they, they've kind of lost the original recipe here where they tend to win these kind of games that get a little bit uglied up and, and come down to, to a couple of big hits. And we've talked about that a little bit throughout the season that, you know, last year's team as, as charmed a life as they were living and as talented as they were, there were a lot of moments where it was like, every time you turned around, Arkansas was hitting a massive home run and a clutch moment. And they just haven't had that quite as much this year. And it, it struck me on Friday. This is the type of game they tend to, they tend to win. And, um, quickly another spare thought on that is like, you know, it, and I know it, but for the average college baseball fan, like Enrique Bradfield jr. Is a superstar. Like he has figured out the power. <laughs> like he's got seven home runs this year, which you look at him and you're like, uh, you know, I don't know if he has the strength to get the ball out. He does. Um, also 39 for 39 in stolen bases, which is just insane to not get thrown out once when you get a bad read, or the catcher just makes a perfect throw or you kind of stumble out of the gate or whatever, like to not get caught uh, one time attempting 39 stolen bases is, is just incredible. So that that home run in the 10th inning of the Friday game was a like a hallmark moment for him, but it was just a really good weekend for him. And um, we didn't need any more evidence to know how good that guy is, but man, he, he certainly gave us some
1: more. To, to your point in that 10th inning, it looked like Arkansas was going to wriggle out of uh, a pretty tight jam. I, uh, you know, they, Brady Tigard had allowed runners on base. Vanderbilt botched a suicide squeeze attempt. Carter Holton, or Carter, Carter Young, uh, did not get the bunt. He got the bunt down, but didn't get far enough. The catcher was able to to pick it up. And uh, Javi Vaz tried to hit him with a spin move at, at home plate, and obviously that, that wasn't working. And so, uh, you know, they, they get to Bradfield, with uh two outs in in the inning and tiger i think got to two strikes on him even like tiger looked like he was about to to escape this this pretty tight jam and then bradfield did what he did and it was the kind of moment that you saw so many times last year with arkansas and have seen so many times this year uh you know robert moore comes up in a big big spot or jalen battles runs into one or you know, any number of guys uh, on that Arkansas team are capable of those moments. And, and over the last two years, they've delivered on them. But on this night, it was Vanderbilt. And that was that was a huge deal that Vanderbilt was able to, to pull that one out there. Uh, also, we got to touch on what happened in the stands on Friday night. Friday night was a, a wild time uh, at Baumwalker. There was a raccoon in, uh, in the stands. I think it was down the down the left field line somewhere. Not on the actual, you know, grassy berm hog pen area. It was it was in the actual stands, and uh, an Arkansas fan, like, wrangled that thing by himself. <laughs> he uh, he grabbed the raccoon by the scruff of its neck, and they uh, they walked him out of the stadium. And that is amazing. But my favorite thing about that whole whole situation was the uh, th- there was one angle where the guy is like first pulling the raccoon up. And there's a guy in the row and he, uh, he, it looks like he like faints. I don't know if he actually fainted or just was trying to get out of the way. And he like collapses over one row of stands into another, but it looked like it was just two completely diverging reactions to this thing. You know, one guy like going at it, going at the raccoon and grabbing it. And the other guy, like lo- again, looks like he faints and falls over, over a row of stands. It was uh you don't, you don't get that kind of divergent reaction in, in one cell phone shot too often, but, but we got that at ball walker.
2: That, that, yeah, that guy, that guy knew how to handle a rack. He knew what he was doing. Like that was not, that's not, that's no amateur there handling that raccoon in the way that way. Uh, it also struck me by the way that, you know, we go to these re- replay reviews right on the field. And sometimes it's just like, well, we just don't have a camera angle that is going to show this play exactly the way we need it to to show us. and And yet like, within five minutes of this thing happening in Arkansas, there were like 900 different angles of this from people's cell phone cameras. Um, Those, those I saw plenty were, of reverse
1: angles, you know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs>
2: like This thing was as well-documented as anything that has ever happened uh, and God bless them. Cause I, I watched just about every one of them, but um, yeah, we, we can't, we can't always get good angles on replays, but man, we really had that
1: raccoon situation covered. That's, that's what it's all about. You know, um, yeah, i'm not hope, arguing that it should
2: be the other way around i'm just pointing out <laughs> a fact you know
1: uh yes um all right one last series to clean up here in the sec uh, i guess two more uh so do you have anything to say about Ole miss because i'm left kind of speechless that this team has been able to find itself in this way that they went in to lsu an lsu team that looked like you know it was it was running towards a, a host spot and now is not definitively uh but Ole Miss has pulled itself together they they got right and like before this weekend you could say well they're playing some of the worst teams in the SEC like how real is this well going into the box and sweeping makes it feel pretty real that that Ole Miss uh has figured something out
2: yeah just quickly on that I mean it it's it was always to me like where we got over our skis a little bit because this team has disappointed they are going to finish the regular season dis in a disappointing relative to preseason expectations. but the idea that like even at the worst of it, and I fell into this a little bit, I'm not pointing fingers at others and not at myself like i I kind of fell into this too but in hindsight, it's one of those deals where the pitching was struggling and the offense was struggling too, but those two things struggling so badly at the same time. And the mound was more pronounced because I think we actually believed that more because we knew pitching was a a shortcoming for this team, like even going into the season. But the idea that that wasn't going to get any better, I think was like a little bit foolhardy. And it seemed like, well, they're just never going to get it fixed. And like, it has gotten fixed to a degree greater than I expected. Like I did not expect them to go on this kind of run. But the idea that they were never going to figure something out on the mound, I think, was a little bit foolhardy. But it seemed like maybe I'm building a straw man argument here, which I don't intend to do. But it did feel like there was kind of a feeling of like, well, this just is who they are on the mound. And they're really scrambling. And, um, you know, they're just they're just going to miss the postseason. They might have to fight to get to Hoover. Like that really seemed like what had taken over. And sure, they took care of business against Missouri. But you're right. Going to Baton Rouge, you know, even with a an LSU team that has its own questions, but sweeping them is just an incredible feat. And, you know, these guys are talented. Like, this is a talented team. Um, they have been disappointing, but the, the idea that they just weren't going to get any better, I think, was a little bit uh, foolhardy there for a while. And it feels like maybe we got a little out over our skis, making assumptions about the way this team was going to
1: finish the season. They play A&M this weekend. They go into that at 13 and 14. One win probably is enough here. Um, maybe don't lose on Tuesday in Hoover. If you don't win this series against AM, win the series and you're fine. But um, yes, yeah, one one to two wins over the next week should be uh, should be enough here for uh, for Ole Miss to make the postseason. All right, let's uh, circle all the way back to Tennessee uh, for a second here, Joe. I was fascinated by the way Tennessee. It's really now going on two weeks that Tennessee has been kind of messing around on the mound, giving guys breaks. Uh, this weekend, that meant that the freshmen, Chase Burns and Drew Beam, who have been in the rotation all season long, did not start. They came out of the bullpen instead. Uh, you got starts from Dollander uh, and Tidwell. No real surprises there. But then they rolled out Ben Joyce as a starter for the first time on Saturday. He threw four innings. He threw 53 fastballs, all of them or at least 100 miles an hour. Uh, so that's a new development. He's now twice in the last three weekends thrown four innings in a game, and I don't know that they're going to ask Ben Joyce to start a game in the postseason at any point. Uh, Tony Vitello made the point that you know he was a part of the 2006 Missouri coaching staff when Mizzou um, you know went to to the Malibu Regional and won it and needed to play five games. Uh, if you want to win. The SEC tournament, you're playing four or five games, so you need more than three starters is is the overall point here. Now, whether Joyce ever actually starts a game in the postseason or whether he is now just being stretched out for long relief, which is what the first of those four inning uh, appearances came in either way. Uh, it, it seems clear that the Tennessee is now taking the reins off him; that they trust him to throw enough strikes to to do this sort of thing, and he's he's really been rewarding their trust. Yeah, one, I mean, they're just
2: gonna have so many options. Like, and that only that doesn't just help in terms of you know guys who could give you a good start, but also it means you don't really have to mess around and hope that somebody figures it out in the postseason. You can go to the bullpen pretty quick and reasonably expect that guy to give you three four five innings it's not just the guys we've talked about but i mean they've got a guy in camden sewell who has like been very open about the fact that i want to be a starter and there hasn't been room for him and you know he talks about it and tony vitello talks about it like this is a guy who wants to be a starter and he's been really good at the bullpen he gives them multiple innings just about every time out um so they're really running like six seven deep with guys that could probably do that and that's just a real luxury. I mean, there's luxuries on luxuries here, right? They have the personnel and also they have enough leeway in the SEC that they can really just use these last couple of weekends to mess around, which is like a nice problem to have if you can uh, get it figured out.
1: No doubt about that. So we'll we'll see what they uh what they decide to do this weekend uh when they uh announce uh, starters for for this and it is interesting as well, since they ran Thursday through Saturday the last two weeks and will again this week, and then rolling into Hoover. They, they really can set up their pitching staff however they want uh, going into the SEC tournament. All right, let's, uh let's let's flip to the ACC. There was a top ten matchup in the ACC. I like this is how loaded the weekend was. That were I don't know forty minutes in this podcast, fifty minutes in the podcast maybe an, or an hour. I have no idea. I've lost track of time. Uh, and we're, we're just getting to this top 10 ACC series in Blacksburg, Virginia tech, Louisville, Louisville won on Friday. Uh, Look pretty good doing it. Then Virginia tech comes back, wins the next two games, wins the series, all but assures themselves of a top eight national seed. Virginia tech is up to number three in the baseball America top 25. Um, they are not in first place in the ACC in part because they are missing a couple games now they were against Notre Dame who knows how they would have turned out but they are still trailing Miami for the the top spot in the ACC but Virginia Tech beat Miami and the way Virginia Tech's playing right now I don't I don't really see how anyone can make the argument that Virginia Tech is not the best team in the ACC
2: yeah I mean they might not end up with that crown just by you know technicality but yeah I mean they're to win this, to fight through this series the way they did after losing eight to one on Friday is impressive. Um, you know, and they did it in different, you know, that there wasn't a game where they, their offense really exploded. The offense did just enough. I was impressed with the Virginia tech bullpen. It wasn't, you know, the cleanest, they had some guys give up some runs, but, but man, they really battled. And that Louisville offense is, is obviously no joke. We talked about that in the preview episode and Virginia tech just kind of came up with the pitches they needed to make. I mean, this really felt it again speaks to we're hammering at home, but it it speaks to how good this weekend was. This goes under the radar when I watched a pretty decent amount of the last two games of this series and they felt like postseason atmospheres. Like these were extremely tense games. Um, and part of that is because the offenses are what they are. You're kind of always waiting for that big, you know, both teams can really just go off at a, at a moment's notice. Um, and so Virginia tech always felt like, um, because in both games, they took leads and they were kind of just like teetering on the edge of holding those leads. And that's kind of what created that tension. It always just felt like there there was one moment away from Louisville just kind of uh, having that big moment and taking over and taking control of the games. And they never really happened the last two days, which is a credit to Virginia Tech. And this is a series where I actually come out feeling better about both teams, because the flip side of that is that, you know, Louisville got the win, so didn't get swept. That's great. And that's what you look to do against good teams in conference on the road. And they they their pitching staff really kind of held Virginia Tech in check for the most part. Now, the hard part with Louisville, because they've done this before, is separating, to use, I think it's a Nate Silver phrase, separating the signal from the noise. Like, I don't know if Carter Lohman pitching as well as he did on Saturday to neutralize the Virginia Tech offense is something that's going to be transferable to next week or the ACC tournament or regional or what have you. Um, because they have been pretty up and down, but they did show this weekend that, okay, you know, at their best or at a pretty good version of themselves, like they can do a good job against an offense. That's one of the best in the country. And so I come out of it feeling pretty good about both of these teams, which is, you know, you don't always do that. And every, most every other series we've talked about has had a, a situation where we come out feeling better about one team and not so good about the other team. This is one where I think you can, both teams can go come away with a lot of positives from what they saw.
1: I, I think that's right and you know i know virginia tech was not thrilled about how that game got away from them on friday you could just kind of tell that john chef was <laughs> was fuming a little bit in the dugout but uh for them to to come back and and win the series the way that they did i i think that was that speaks a lot about the toughness mentally that the this team has and that's important because this is a team with no postseason experience they've haven't been to the ncaa tournament since 2013 uh, there's probably a transfer on that roster that, that's played in the postseason somewhere but basically no one no one has and so i am curious what it's going to look like when they get into a regional or a super regional and they get punched in the face they got punched in the face by louisville on friday and they answered the, the bell and that to your point like this weekend those kinds of teams in the tense p- baseball they were playing pretty good crowds uh, in Blacksburg, I, this was as much of a, a, a postseason test as Virginia Tech could get, and uh, they they did really well, uh, you know, in rebounding. And, and I think that's uh, that's really significant for for a team that is as inexperienced playing meaningful baseball in late May and June as as they are.
2: Real quick on the um, on Virginia Tech again to to really hammer it home because like I you know this we do not unintended. want this to get lost. Oh, yeah, that's right. They do the the hammer thing. That's right. Um, It's kind of funny. I guess we just take that for granted now. Like, they don't really show that on camera as much, I feel like. Or maybe I just wasn't watching when they hit home runs this weekend to see, like, if they did. Anyway, Virginia Tech has done enough this year. Like, Virginia Tech is going to probably be a top eight seed and be a favorite to go to Omaha. Now, history is littered with teams having their breakthrough season and hosting regionals and getting upset. Like Virginia Tech has actually done exactly that before. So there's a lot between now and then, but we should not let just kind of the fact that at this point we know what Virginia Tech is let us lose sight of the fact that Virginia Tech
1: is doing this. Absolutely. This is a team that they just showed. I'm watching one of the games right now. They just showed a graphic on the screen. This is the second longest postseason drought in the ACC, only Pitt uh, is longer than them and uh th- this is a, a a a team that hasn't ever been a top eight team. like they've never done what they're doing this weekend was and like they're in different divisions they don't play terribly often but it was the first time they'd beaten louisville as a member of the acc and i like there are just a lot of things like that that you know we've been used to tennessee doing these kinds of things the last couple of years virginia tech's doing them right now and yeah i mean it's Virginia Tech Tennessee has way more history, way more tradition than Virginia Tech. It, it shouldn't absolutely not be lost what with, with the hokies and are, are doing the season and, and what John chef has been able to do uh, since he arrived in Blacksburg. I thought the breakthrough was going to happen last year. It faded down the stretch for them. Uh, they are not fading this year. they they look outstanding as uh, as the postseason approaches. All right, let's run down to Tallahassee. Uh, it was Florida State and Miami. Rain postponed Friday's game to uh, the, the opener to Saturday. Miami wins it. Uh, they they beat uh, Parker Messick, uh, but then Florida State bounces back, wins the next two games, takes the series. Uh, Florida State now, you know that that's a huge win, huge series win for their hosting hopes. Miami continues to they're not in a funk but they just are not what they were in the first half of the season I think that's pretty clear Uh, but ultimately just a a really big deal for the Knowles to go out and win this uh, this rivalry series
2: yeah I mean not always pretty Um, you know both the games they won were kind of these weird games where the teams traded blows and and Florida State kind of holds on late but to, to not get a great Parker Messick start and still manage to win the series that's huge I mean it's not Altogether unlike Oregon State, you know what they were trying to do. It's just the the inverse, right? Like they won the game where their ace didn't pitch so well, and then lost the other two games. This was the inverse of that, so they have to feel pretty good about that. Um, I, I really came away impressed with. I think we talked about this on the previous episode a little bit. One of the things that stands out to me about this Florida State team that I think does give them a little bit of margin for error is like the bullpen when it's throwing well is really good. You know when you when you get into uh, you know Crowell and Scalaro and uh Ross Dunn pitched really well on Sunday. And he's a guy that maybe if Florida State continues to struggle in that third game, you know, Carson Montgomery hasn't really cut it. Like, do you reintroduce Ross Dunn into that mix? You know, he was dominant in that in that final game. So, like, that's an that's an idea. But I, I really like this bullpen for Florida State. And so, you know, the, the combination can be pretty lethal if their starting pitchers are are pitching well, or if they just have to stack everyone on the bullpen on Sundays. Like that is a way they can win games there too. Um, but so that group kind of showed out and, um, you know, on the flip side for Miami, like not unlike Oklahoma state, you know, after Palmquist, there's a lot of question marks. And we we know with Rosario, he, he kind of is what he is like it's shorter outings. It feels like they're always kind Miami's always kind of trying to get him out of the games at just the right moment and not let him go too long although I guess you could argue maybe that happened in Sunday's game but um, you know Ligon now has Carson Ligon has given up four or more earned runs in four of his last five ACC starts Um, you know he's he's backslid from when he was you know really one of the best freshmen in college baseball the first whatever it was six weeks or so of the season so that puts a lot on Palmquist Um, and their bullpen is good too um, but not quite as good as what we're talking about with Florida state. And so I think this weekend kind of showed um, with how many innings they had to put on that bullpen where Miami is vulnerable
1: as well. Big weekend coming up for Miami with Notre Dame on tap. Uh, if, if they, this could become a slide going into the ACC tournament and, and that just would not be what you want. Um, so uh, a big, big weekend uh, for the Canes, big weekend for, for the Irish, just some very intriguing series that we'll talk about on the preview pod uh, this weekend in the ACC. There's one more weekend for chaos potential. I feel like we've gotten it all season out of this conference. One more, one more good shot at it this weekend with uh, Miami and Notre Dame and Louisville and Virginia, and also a, a big bubble series with uh, with Pitt and uh, and Georgia Tech. All right, we're uh, we're running low on time here, Joe. Quickly uh Southern Miss went out and won uh, a series against UTSA Southern Miss now kind of has consolidated itself as the, the leader in Conference USA still firmly in the hosting mix what if anything did you take from this other than it was just a really fun series in Hattiesburg that deserves more than the two minutes we're going to give it here on the podcast
2: yeah, I mean, just the fight from Southern Miss. I mean, they needed it, needed it, needed it, needed it, needed it. And they lost the Friday game. So it would have, you know, I I have to admit, I was kind of of the mind of like, man, did, did we just miss on Southern Miss? Like, what's what's going on here? Um, there, but beyond that, on the field, um, I like that they won games without having having it have to be really clean pitching games. Obviously, they lose the Friday game, but Hurston Waldrop wasn't particularly good on Sunday, and they still figured it out. I think this team having to figure it out is an important piece of the puzzle because it was never going to be as clean pitching wise as it has as it was for Southern Miss the first 10 weeks of the season, right? Where it was just like excellent start after excellent start and they looked untouchable. Like it wasn't going to be that all season, especially once they got in the postseason. So I do think there is maybe a silver lining here where the struggles of the last few weeks have kind of given them an opportunity to figure out other ways to win games. And in this week, and that included hitting a million home runs. So I think it was big for them to not completely slip out of the hosting discussion to kind of fight back a little bit, show some fight ahead of, you know, one more regular season series. But really, I mean, this is a team that they have to do some work next weekend and maybe in
1: the CUSA tournament to really feel good about hosting. Significantly Reese Ewing was back in the lineup this week and um, I that, that he had been a, a big, a big presence missed in, in the few weeks that he was sidelined. So to get Ewing back, uh, I think was a big deal and it does certainly does help their offense and they, they need to help out that pitching staff. It's good enough, but you know, you can't ask the, that rotation to, to carry the load the entire season. There are going to be weeks uh, like the last few weeks where they, they just need need a little help from the offense. And, and this week, uh, unlike the, in the previous two series losses to, to UAB and ODU, they were able to get that. And um, yeah, it's going to be a fight to the finish for for Southern Miss here if they are able to host, but Um, this was a big step towards that Uh, you know uh, uh, they could not have withstood another series loss all right we covered an awful lot of ground here today Uh, there's plenty more over on the website baseballamerica.com if you want to read more Joe has the full rundown of the top 25 as he always does uh, what what all the top 25 teams did over the last week off the bat uh, by the time this is posted I'm sure off the bat will be published as well so you can uh, check out my analysis of the weekend that was in college baseball. There'll be plenty more throughout the week. Remember this is a short week. Most conference series open on Thursday as uh, we get ready for conference tournaments uh, the following week. Uh, so we will be back here date day early with the preview edition of the baseball America college podcast. Uh, so make sure to uh, subscribe to the baseball America podcast on your favorite podcast app, be that Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, Wherever you get your podcast, hit the subscribe, hit the follow button, and then uh, it'll pop in right into your phone. Uh, as we as we come at you probably on Wednesday here to uh, to prep for Week 14 of the college baseball season. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. Uh, and this time of year, there's always a lot of stuff going on. There's there's the projections. There's the analysis. There's uh, you know, us previewing the next week, we're looking ahead to conference tournaments. The first uh NCAA tournament bid is going to be handed out this weekend in the Ivy League and maybe in the big west. Uh so a lot happening, a great time to read, to to subscribe, to follow us on Twitter, to, to do whatever you need to do to get ready for the postseason because it's coming fast. And I know I'm excited for it, and I know Joe's excited for it. And look, if you just listen to 80 minutes of the baseball America College podcast, I know you're excited for it too. So uh jump aboard. Uh, Hopefully we we can have a good time here over the next uh, five, six weeks, however long we have until uh, until the end of college baseball season. All right. So for Joe, I'm Teddy. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you next time.
2: Mike Rowe here with a radical idea.